of the Lord. All right, I want you to notice what it says in verse 6 of 2 Corinthians chapter 3. It says, Who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth light. And today I want to preach on the doctrine of the New Covenant. And there is absolutely no way I can even come close to possibly doing justice to this subject today. And I really do, uh, I'm thinking about maybe the next few weeks or at least in the near future, kind of preaching a series about some things when it comes to the New Covenant. Because while we all know how to get saved here, there's a lot of things that we often just kind of fail to think about and we don't enjoy as Christians. There's a lot of uh, benefits to Christianity and being saved that a lot of people aren't taking advantage of. And as a result of a lack of knowledge on these subjects, it makes it easy for even saved people to kind of end up going into a church where they can kind of be brought back under bondage again and not able, they're not able to enjoy the liberty that they have in Christ. And so uh, I want to make sure that we get that here because I want you all to have the liberty at Liberty Baptist Church that you ought to have. And because um, these are, these are very uh, great truths that can be a great help. But so first off, what exactly is this new covenant or the New Testament, and how does it affect our lives today? I get it. We're already saved. Okay? I'm, I'm preaching to everybody today as if you are already saved. That's how I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach to you. And so we looked last week at the Old Covenant. We saw how it included the things of the temple. It included the law, the feasts, it, uh, the dietary restrictions, the Sabbath. And aren't we glad that those are not a part, not only of salvation, but they're not even a part of how we live our lives today. Aren't you, know, aren't you glad that, ladies, that food that you brought today, we don't have to have a rabbi check it, make sure it's kosher or anything like that. And if, we did, if it's not, we throw it out. Then we'd be throwing out all the good stuff probably. So the reality is we don't have to do that. We're gonna, I'm gonna, I'll probably have a Christmas hand this year. And I'm looking forward to that. I'm thankful for that. That's a blessing. I'm glad we don't have to worry about all of these things. Those were under the Old Covenant. All those things were meant to teach people about the Lord. It was supposed to teach them about His holiness. It was supposed to teach them about their sinfulness. It was also to a way to separate them from all people of the rest of the world. They say, why didn't God not let them eat bacon? I'll tell you why. Everybody likes bacon. It was a way they kind of separated themselves. It was a way that they... And, you know, and let's just face it, you know, pigs are pretty gross animals. And so God wanted them to have a testimony of cleanness as a people. And so he did. He wanted them separated from certain things because they were they were a picture of something. But understand, we have a much better picture of all of those things with Jesus Christ. And therefore, we don't need to try to send that message through a dietary restriction, some kind of separation or anything like that. God, God finished that. God gave us something better with the new covenant. And so we don't we don't worry about those things and the goal of those laws that were to teach people about God so they would have faith in him and they would receive that circumcision of the heart and they would if they would come to a point of faith in the promise of God they would be saved because of that faith not because of their performance of the law because when it came to everyone's performance of the law like us they all came short of the glory of God but their faith was counted to them for righteousness. And so, last week I briefly pointed out how Hebrews teaches that in these last days that we are currently in, God has spoken to us by His Son, by Jesus Christ. The things of the law were a shadow that pointed to things that were to come. 
and those things have come. And now it is our job to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when people believe that gospel, they enter into that covenant knowing the things that the law was intended to teach. People know these things now in a better way through the gospel rather than through the things of the law and the, uh, the Passover and the feasts and all those things. And so, we're all in the covenant. We don't have to teach everyone here to know the Lord. We all know Him. That is why we're here today. We're saved. We're on our way to heaven. And so, that while there are many ways that we could address these things concerning the covenant, what I want to do today is I want to focus, spend some time focusing on why the Bible sometimes says testament and why it sometimes says covenant, even though they both come from the same Greek word. No one should be deceived into separating. People are literally in churches today trying to separate the covenant from the testament. That's ridiculous. Some people are teaching that the new covenant, it's just for the Jews. It's not for us. That is heresy to teach something like that. The new covenant was in fact made for the Jews, but God included Gentiles in that covenant and made us a part of that covenant when he broke down that middle wall of partition. All those things that the Jews had done under the law to separate themselves, God did all those things for us through his death on the cross. And therefore, we are the people of God today, even though we don't come from a physical nation, even uh, even though we've not done all of those things of the law. In fact, if we if, and if you're not under Christ, you're not even his people anymore and you're not under any covenant. And so first off. I want us to, I want us to just briefly look at the times in the Bible where it uses the word testament. Because, you know, we are, we're King James people here, and we believe every word in there is right and it's used for a reason. And I believe there's a reason they use the term testament, and I believe there's a reason they use the term covenant. But when you, when you recognize the difference, if you want to call it that, you will realize how, how ridiculous it is to try to separate the testament and the covenant from each other. But Matthew 26, 26 says, and as they were eating, Jesus took bread and blessed it and break it and gave it to the disciples and said, take eat. This is my body. And he took the cup and gave thanks and gave it to them saying, drink ye all of it. For this is my blood of the New Testament, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. But I say unto you, I will not drink henceforth of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. And the next three uses of the word testament, we're not going to read them. It's all the same story. In Mark 14, Luke 22, and in 1 Corinthians 11, it refers to it. And so when we take the Lord's Supper, we call that a, a, a local church ordinance or a New Testament ordinance where that, that, uh, that juice, that grape juice, that is a picture of the blood of Christ, the blood of the New Testament. What does that mean? That means something. The blood of the New Testament. It's important then we understand what that means, and I think you will understand by the end of this message. But let's go ahead, before we, uh, we cover all that, let's go to, through 2 Corinthians 3. Let's point out some things. We read 2 Corinthians chapter 3, but I want to point out some very important things to you. Notice what it says in verse 1, because you know, there's, there's certain things that in our culture, there's certain terms and words we don't use that often. And so... As a result of that, sometimes some of these things can just kind of go over our head. But I, I want to make sure we understand everything that's going on. But it says, do we begin again to commend ourselves or need we, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? 
Ye are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. And so notice how he mentions letters of commendation or epistles. Okay? An epistle's a letter. It's like, do we need to show you guys some papers showing that we're legit? Okay? And so understand today, people often have credentials. Something that shows they are who they say they are. I can go and I can say, I'm a cop. But, you know, people have the right to say, well, hey, can I see some evidence that you're a cop? And, you know, typically they'll pull out a badge. And, you know, and you can make fake badges. There's, and there's ways to authenticate real ones and which ones are fake. I don't know how to tell, so I could probably get taken advantage of. But either way, you know, we, we have things like this today. Where if some guy just came walking here and says, hey, you know, I'm from the FBI and I, you know, and he claims some kind of jurisdiction or wants to do something. We have the right to say, hey, can I see some kind of proof? Can I see some kind of evidence? And so Paul is saying that here about his apostleship. He's like, hey, do I need to show you some epistles, some credential? And then he says, for as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in the fleshly tables of the heart. You know what he's trying to tell them? God wrote something on your heart. And so I shouldn't need to show you some kind of letters. God wrote something on your heart. He said, ye are our epistles. Hey, hey, you know, folks, do I, what do I have to do to convince you this church is legit? I mean, hopefully the Spirit of God's telling you something. Hopefully that Word of God that's written on your heart, it's in, it's in sync and it's harmonizing with the words you're seeing written here in the Scriptures. And, you know, do I, do I really need to pull out my ordination certificate? I mean, is that better than what's written in your heart? I mean, do I need to get out my ordination certificate and show everybody? But then, you know, how do I prove that it's legit? I mean, I've got signatures on it. Are you going to go find all those guys and check their signatures, make sure they really... I mean, I mean do we need to go that far? Okay. I mean, we have those things. We can do that if we need to. But he goes on to say, "...in such trust we have of God, to God uh, through Christ to Godward, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit." For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. So when you think of a testament, here's what you need to think of when you think of a testament. That is basically the written word. Like someone's last will and testament. Okay? A last will and testament. You might see a paper. These are my notes. But if I said this is my last will and testament. And what do you expect to find on my last will and testament? You expect to find written out my wishes, my desires. That's what you would expect Define. And so when we talk about the New Testament, you know, we have the New Testament right here in front of us. It's written down. God had it written down for us. And so when you think of a testament, think of the written word. And so just like the Old Testament had instructions, the New Testament has some instructions, but it has some different instructions. So verse 7 says, but the, if the ministration of death, which is the Old Testament, you know why it calls it the ministration of death? Because if we are all under the Old Testament, we are all going to die and go to hell. You know why? Because we've all broken the laws that are written in that ministration of death and the wages of sin is death. But that ministration of death written and engraven in stones, the Ten Commandments, we've all broke the Ten Commandments in one way, shape, or form. We're all guilty of violating the Ten Commandments. And, and let me tell you, those Ten Commandments were good. In fact, he says it was glorious so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away. How shall not the ministration of the Spirit 
be rather glorious. Remember when Moses came down from the mountain after receiving that law? His face shone. You want to know why? Because what God gave Moses was glorious. But you know what Paul's saying here? The, the ministration or the, uh, the new covenant, it's even more glorious. It's even better. I wish, man, as I was studying for this, I just, I was just kind of overwhelmed thinking about just how short I am going to come of expressing the glory of the new covenant. I think, I think it's something that's just, it's such a great thing. And I wish I could find some way to do it. And I'm going to do the best I can. But at the same time, I just, I just can't, it, it can't be expressed how great this new covenant is. For if the ministration of condemnation be glory, much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. Folks, this New Testament is so much better than the Old Testament. There's nothing wrong with that Old Covenant. But the New is way better. And the, and the New Covenant, under the New Covenant, we actually all have hope. No matter what you've done. If you've messed up and you have. You have hope under the New Covenant. Under the Old Covenant, you're just, you're just going to hell. It's, I mean, have you ever just read the law and it's just like, man, hey, we can't do nothing. You know, and, it's, and that's how it feels. Because, but it is. It's still good. It's holy. We're just not. But it says, for even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. For if that which is done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished. But their minds were blinded, for until this day remaineth the same veil untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ. Just like Israel did not even want to look at Moses when his face shone and he had to put a veil over his face. Paul is saying today the Jews, they still have a veil, that same veil over their heart. They're refusing to look at the truth of the law. They're refusing to look at the glory and the holiness of it. And so just like they said, we got to put a veil over Moses' face, they've kept that, figuratively speaking, spiritually speaking, over their eyes because they just can't handle looking at the, at the glory and the holiness of that old covenant that is inferior to the new covenant that we're talking. And it says, but their minds were blind. Or Verse 15, but even unto this day, when Moses read, the veil is upon their heart. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now, many people read that as prophetic, like one of these days, God's just going to remove the veil. That's not what it's saying. This was this is not a future prophecy. This was a present truth. He was saying if they would turn to the Lord, the veil will be taken away. They'll see the truth. That's that's what he's saying right there. Okay, This is not a prophetic thing. This is he was just stating a present fact. And Paul was somebody who turned to the Lord and the veil was taken away. That's what happened to Paul. And so, um, you know, they can still be saved. So the Jews, they had this problem and that was they had, they had a sin problem like all of us do. They had a lack of faith. Their rejection of Jesus blinded them to the truth of what the Old Testament was pointing them to. But if they at that time and at this present time, at this present time, if they would turn to the Lord, the veil would be lifted. They would know the Lord. They would know the Lord. They would learn the things that the Old Covenant was meant to teach them that the New Testament teaches in even a clearer and more glorious way. 
Because just like they didn't want to see the truth of the old covenant and they, they had that veil over their eyes, understand they, if they don't want to look at the Old Testament and what it says, they're definitely not going to want to look at the New Testament that's, whose glory far exceeds the Old Testament. That's just too much light. And some people, the Bible says men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. They don't want to see the truth. And so, verse 17 goes on to say, Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. And thank God for the liberty that comes with the new covenant. And we and said, we, I wish we had time to cover the liberty, and we probably will in future weeks. But I want to briefly look at the next use of this word, testament. Because what's interesting is Hebrews 7 through 9, which is where people are preaching a lot of false doctrine, the word covenant and testament is used. And it is, it's insane to think when you're reading that that the subject has completely changed when we get to chapter 9. But while these are different words, they really are, and I'll show you why here in a minute. But look what it says in Hebrews 7.21. For those priests were made without an oath. But this with an oath by him that said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent. Thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. By so much was Jesus made surety of a better testament. A better testament. Better than what? Better than the first testament. Better than the Old Testament. Better than the Ten Commandments. Listen, we still talk to people almost every week when we go out. I talked to someone yesterday who literally thought the way to heaven was through the law, through works. Through the, many, and many people will ask them, hey, what do you have to do to go to heaven? They'll say, obey the Ten Commandments. That's the ministration of death. You're, you're on your way to hell if that's the case because you're a sinner and you've broken God's law. That's not how God gave us something better. And it's always, it's always a blessing when we can tell people. I talked to someone yesterday that said, you got to work for it. And I said, hey, can I show you what the Bible says? Because the Bible tells us something that's actually so much better. And you know what? I went and I showed her. I went, I went to Romans and I said to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. What's an ungodly person? That's somebody who breaks the Ten Commandments. That's what we all are. But God didn't tell us to work for it. He told us to believe on Him and trust in Him. That, isn't that better? Isn't that so much better? Okay, like, do you really want to try to get to heaven through keeping the Ten Commandments? Okay, I, I don't. I, I hope you don't think you can. How arrogant do you have to be? I just saw somebody said something about this this morning. I thought was good, but they were talking about the arrogance of those who pretend they're being humble when you ask them if they're going to heaven, and they say, "I hope so." And he said, you know why that's arrogant? Because those people clearly are trusting in their own works. They are hoping that their own goodness will get them to heaven. Where those who say, I know for sure I'm going to heaven, those are people who have humbly admitted the fact that they can't be good enough to go to heaven and they are relying completely on what Jesus Christ already did. So you want to know what's there. It's not arrogant to say, I know I'm going to heaven. What's arrogant is to say, I hope so. I think so. That's, that's pretty arrogant. That shows what you think about yourself. But those trusting in Christ, that takes humility. But Hebrews 9.15 says, And for this cause, He is the mediator of the New Testament. Talking about Jesus. That by means of death, for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament, they which are called might receive the promise of eternal inheritance. You say, what about all those people that were under the First Testament? 
right here, Jesus is a mediator of those who were called under the first testament. It says, for where a testament is, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is of force after men are dead. Otherwise, it is of no strength at all while the testator liveth. Whereupon, neither the first testament was dedicated without blood. For when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. So notice, under that first testament, when God gave that testament to him, when he gave that written word, that old covenant, you know what Moses did? He took a sacrifice he t- and he took blood and he sprinkled it on the book. He sprinkled it on the, the Ark of the Covenant. He sprinkled it on the temple. He did it all. Well, why do they do that? Okay. Why? Well, there, there's a, that, that was one of the things that they, that was a practice that they had back then as a way to seal it. And I think you'll understand this here in a minute because we have something similar today. We just don't use, we don't use blood at all. Okay. But that was what they did then. And there was a reason God had them using blood back then. There was a very good reason for that. But the last place we see the word testament in the Bible is in Revelation eleven nineteen, And it says, and the temple of God was opened in heaven and there was seen in his temple, the ark of his testament. Now, what do we normally call that? The ark of the covenant here. It uses the word testament. We're going to say these are two different things. No, it's, it's the same thing. See ark of the testament. There's one in heaven. And it said, and there were lightnings and voices and thunderings, earthquake and great hail. So why use a different word if they are the same thing? And this is the fact that people are bringing this up shows that they don't fully understand what the New Testament is or what the New Covenant is. And we need to understand this. And so a testament, if we look up the definition, it means a solemn, authentic instrument in writing by which a person declares his will as to the disposal of his estate and effects after his death. This is otherwise called a will. A testament to be valid must be made when the testator is of a sound mind and must be subscribed, witnessed, and published in such manner as the law prescribes. And why is that? Well, because if I wanted to, what if I just went and I just wrote up? Uh, I just I wrote up a will and I put on their last will and testament of Brother Wes. And I had him give me all this stuff instead of his family. Okay, and then I go and I'm like, hey, I, I got his last will and testament right here. You say, well, you shouldn't be able to do that. Well, I can't. That's why we have today we have like a notary, right? That we have a legal process where for something like that to be valid, you know, he needs to write up. He would write up his last will and testament and he would take it somewhere like a notary. And what are they doing? They're authenticating it. They, they have their way of authenticating that this is legit. That way, when his son comes and is like, you know, he wants, he wanted it all to go to me. And then I come and I say, no, he wanted it all to go to me. You know, we've got proof. And so he's, you know, obviously mine will not be notarized because it's a fraud where his would be. And so understand a testament is a testament is basically it's like the written contract. It's like the, it's like the written deal. So another definition we see the name of each general division of the canonical books of the sacred scriptures as the Old Testament, New Testament. The name is equivalent to covenant. And in our use of it, we apply it to the books 
which contain the old and new dispensations that of Moses and that of Jesus Christ. And so a testator, we saw that word, that's a man who makes and leaves a will or testament at death. And so in the, um, in the Greek, which is what the New Testament is translate, uh, translated from, it uses, it comes from the same word. Testament and covenant both come from the same word. And I'm not going to try to you know, pronounce the Greek, pretend I can do all that. But covenant, that definition, it means a coming together, a meeting or agreement of minds, a mutual consent or agreement of two or more persons, or to, uh, to do or to forbear some act of thing, a contract, stipulation. A covenant is created by deed in writing, sealed and executed, or it may be implied in the contract. So basically, the way I like to illustrate it is if I was to, if me and Cassandra were to get with our children and we were to say, when we die, we want this item to go to Tommy, we want this item to go to Jason, and we would, we would like, we could discuss these things and we could make an agreement with our kids. Any money that's left over can be split eight ways and you guys will have $12, right? Or something like, you know, you know, we'll, you know, we'll, you know, we'll come up with something like that, all right? And, and basically, if after we have this discussion, we're in agreement, our kids are in agreement, we, you could say we made a covenant with each other. But then, what we would do is if we were to go, and what we should do, is we should write all that down. We should put all that in paper. Why? So there's no dispute. So there's no question. So later, you know, if say we don't die for another 20 years... You know, the kids aren't, no, I remember dad said I get, you know, his shotguns, you know, or something like that. We don't, we don't, so we, we've got it written down. And so basically, if, if we write down the terms of the covenant that we made, you know what we have? We have the testament. What this says, if this were the testament, it should say the same thing that we agreed on. And so to say that this is not the covenant is kind of foolish. And to say, you know, and, and, and so that's how it is with the Word of God. God made a covenant with Jesus Christ. And we, and so understand that covenant that God made with Jesus Christ, we see it written down in the Scriptures, in a testament. To say they are two different things is ridiculous because the testament says the same thing that God said to Jesus Christ. So, well, how do we know it's authentic? How do we know that the covenant is good? You know what they used to prove the covenant was good? We saw it there in Hebrews. They used blood. The blood of Christ. That was how He did it. We see in the Scriptures, we're not going to take time to go to the Scriptures, but Jesus, after He died, He went and He poured out His blood on the mercy seat, the Ark of the Testament, in heaven. That's the proof. Okay, right there, that, that, is, that is the proof of things. That is how we authenticate it. It was authenticated with Christ's blood. And that's why they used blood in the sacrifices back during Moses' day because they knew one of these days God was going to make a new covenant and you know what it was going to be a covenant with? It was going to be with the blood of Christ. And His blood is what cleanses us from our sins because it was through His death that He was able to bring salvation. So the New Testament, it's the written version of the covenant that God made with Jesus. Look what it says in Hebrews 9.19. It says, for when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats and water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the New Testament, or blood of the Testament, 
which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, He sprinkled the blood of both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry. And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. It was therefore necessary that the pattern of things in the heavens should be purified with these, but the heavenly things with better sacrifices than these. For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Not, nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entered into the holy place every year with the blood of others. Not only was the written word or the testament, but it, the blood of Christ is a part of that as well. His blood sealed this testament or covenant. And let me tell you something. One of these days, we are going to stand before God and the books are going to be opened. And we're going to be judged according to those books. And how we're going to have the right books is going to be the ones with the blood of Christ on it. And if the blood of Christ has been applied in your life, if you've been cleansed by that blood, you will be safe. You will, you will make it into heaven. And so even today, I can write up a will, but to make sure it holds up against any challenges that may come its way, the way I would do it, I would get it notarized. This is proof that the testament was actually mine and not a forgery. And the proof of the New Testament, it was the blood of Christ. He sealed, you know, he sealed that will and testament in his blood. That is why he poured out his blood on the mercy seat in heaven or on the Ark of the Testament. And let me tell you something, that is one of the reasons all of you need to make sure that if you want to get into heaven, you're claiming only the blood of Christ because that's what they're going to look at. If you come and say, well, you know, I... Yeah, I mean, I, I'm good. I did my own works. I went to church. I got baptized. I did all these other things. That's not how it works. Okay? It's the blood of the New Testament. You better claim the blood of Christ when it comes to forget for your sins. And so I say you, I show you all this. Just point out there's a reason the translators sometimes chose the word testament instead of covenant. Because sometimes it's referring to the written word. Sometimes it's written to the blood of Christ that was literally applied so we could, so we could be saved. But at, at the same time, all of those things represent exactly what the covenant says. They say the exact same thing. And so to try to separate those things is absolutely ridiculous. We are just as much in the new covenant age as we are in the New Testament age. We are exact, in, exactly in that very thing. And so what is... The New Testament. What exactly is the New Testament? And for one, it is the written document detailing the covenant that God made with Christ and that was sealed in His blood. That's what, that's what the New Testament is. Okay, again, no matter what our world tries to do with our copies of the Scriptures, you know what? Forever, O oh God, Lord, Thy Word is settled in heaven. There's a book in heaven that I believe says exactly what this book says, by the way. And understand, that book that's in heaven, it's one that's been notarized, it's one that's been authenticated, it's got the blood of Christ on it. And that's and thank God, thank God for the miracle of preservation of His Word. Thank God that we've got a copy of His Word so we can look and see exactly what the New Testament says. And, let me, and, you know, and there's a lot, but let me read one passage that I think sums up exactly what the New Covenant is. Look at John chapter 6. John chapter 6 and verse 35, Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. 
He that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that all which he hath given me I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Remember in Hebrews, we looked at that passage where it referred to those under the first testament, all those who were called under the first testament. You want to know who the called were? Those who were of faith. They were all covered under the old covenant. And so the new covenant, we see it's simply this. All who come to Christ are in the covenant. They are a part of that covenant. We still have people today referring to an ethnic group as God's covenant people. That covenant, according to Hebrews 8, decayed, waxed old, and it's vanished away. But the way we are a covenant people of God, you have to come through Christ. No one who is outside of Christ is in a covenant with God. Okay, It's those who come to Christ. All who come to Christ are in the covenant. All who come to Christ will be received no matter how far removed you are from the law. No matter how far you are removed genetically from Abraham. If you come to Christ, He will embrace you. He will receive you into that covenant. No matter how many of those laws that you have violated. Understand, if you come to Christ, His blood will cleanse you of all those sins. He will forgive you of all your unrighteousness. And He will accept you. Jesus literally said... Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. The way you get in on this covenant, it's not through the baptismal tank. Some people teach that we should baptize babies and that's a way of bringing them into that covenant that we are in. No, every individual comes into the covenant on their own. Every individual comes into the covenant by believing on Christ and we can't force our kids to do that. They've got to make that choice. They've got to make that decision and when we get baptized, that's just a picture. That's a, that's a public statement of what we did. And so that's why we don't believe in baptizing babies here. That's something that, that's a choice that they need to make at some point in their life. But thank God, under that new covenant, whatever sins that you've done in the past, they, those will not cause you to be turned away. All who come to Christ will be cleansed through the blood of Christ. All who come to Christ are forever secure and will be raised up at the last day. That's what he said there in John chapter 6. He said, All that he which hath given me, I should lose nothing. All that the Father gives me, I shall lose nothing. You know how many people enter into the new covenant and then end up getting cut off, broken off, getting cast out of it? You know how many there are? Zero. No one who comes into that new covenant gets cast away. No one, once you are in that covenant, you're not getting out of it. No one's going to pluck you out of His hand. Once you are saved, you are saved forever. And He said, I will raise it up at the last day. Now listen, all of us in here, we still have sinful bodies. We still have sinful flesh. And we're going to die one of these days. But because we came to Christ, you know what? He's going to raise us up at the last day. There's a resurrection coming. All of me belongs to Christ. And, to, and one of these days, I will physically die. But the Bible says to be absent from the bodies, be present with the Lord. But God's not even going to leave my body behind. One of these days, He's going to come back and He's going to raise it up. You know why? Because I am His. 
I, I am His. I entered in that new covenant. I got into that new covenant. I wasn't born into it. I came to Him for forgiveness of sins. I came to Him for cleansing. I believed on Him. And He promised that all who come to Him, He will lose nothing. He'll lose nothing. The new covenant was also done in a way that included those of faith before Christ. And it says, all, for this cause, He is the mediator of the New Testament that by means of death, <clears throat> for the redemption of the transgressions that were under the First Testament. Did you know Abraham had some pretty good transgressions? David had some pretty good transgressions. Lot had some pretty good transgressions. There's a bunch of guys that we look at in the Old Testament that had a whole bunch of transgressions. But you know what? In Hebrews chapter 11, you know what we keep seeing them bring up about those people from the Old Te First Testament? Their faith. Those that had faith, the blood of Christ covered them as well too. They were the called. Not in like a Calvinistic sense where God picked certain people to be saved. No, the called were those who were of faith. And, they, and the blood of Christ covered them too. Hebrews eleven seventeen says, By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promise offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called. And Galatians 4.28 says, Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. What's our connection to Isaac? Faith. That's our faith. That's who God called. Those of faith. God, what's our connection to Abraham? He's the father of faith. Because of his great faith that he showed. He was somebody that God saved before he was even circumcised. Because he believed God and God accounted it to him for righteousness. So Hebrews 9.24 says, For Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are a figure of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, nor yet that He should offer Himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others. For then must He, uh, he often have suffered since the foundation of the world, but now once in the end of the world hath He appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of Himself as it appointed unto men, once to die, but after this the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, referring to those under the first testament who were called, those of faith, and unto them that look for Him shall He appear the second time without sin unto salvation. What does that mean to look for Him? Those who look to Him for their righteousness rather than their own works. Those who believe on Him, He will appear the second time without sin unto salvation. They will be saved too. Everyone who is under the new covenant is safe, secure. Nothing can change that. The new covenant is what we are all about. It is everything. It is glorious. It is eternal. Under the new covenant, under the new covenant, we currently have all things spiritually. We have eternal life. We have, but one day when Christ returns, we will have them physically. And he, he, Ephesians 2.5, For when you were dead in your sins, hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace are you saved, and hath raised us up together. I'm already resurrected. I'm already raised up. Spiritually. I'm going to have a physical resurrection one of these days. And let me tell you something about my spiritual resurrection. You can't kill me spiritually. And I, you, know, you can't lose your salvation and then like get saved again. That's absolutely 
contrary to everything the Bible teaches. Once you get saved, you are raised up spiritually and nothing will kill you. And let me tell you, one of these days, Christ is going to raise us up physically. And when he raises you up physically, guess what? You're not going to die physically again. It's, a, it's going to be a, a, secured forever. Physically at that point. That's something that's still to come. So now it's raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So I'm not sitting in heavenly places. I'm sitting in Liberty Baptist Church on earth. Spiritually, you're seated in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. You know why? Because he did. He conquered all these things. So, yeah, but I want to experience them now. Well, you will. It says that in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. You know what? What I am telling you about, what I am trying to describe the glory of and coming so short of. Just if you can just believe that verse right there. One of these days, he's going to show it to us. One of these days, we'll actually get to see it. I'm telling you about what you have right now as a saved person, but one of these days, you will see what you have. I can only tell you about what you're escaping. I can only tell you about what, you know, escaping hell and what that's like. And I can only tell you, you know, in so many words, what we are heading to as saved people. But one of these days, we're actually going to see it. But it doesn't change the fact we have it right now. And you know what? We ought to enjoy it. We ought to be thankful for it. We ought to praise God for it, that in the ages to come He might show the exceeding riches of His grace and His kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Thank God for the new and glorious covenant. Thank God that anybody can be a part of it. And if there's one here, he's like, you know what, I, I want to make sure I'm a part of that. You know what, we'd love to show you what you need to do. You know what? You don't, I'll tell you what you don't have to do. You don't have to get baptized. You don't have to, it's not about being a good person. It's not about joining this church or anything like that. It's do you, do you believe this message? Do you believe what God said? Do you believe Jesus paid for your sins on the cross? Do you believe that He will save you if you will, if you will believe on Him, if you will put your faith and trust in Him? If you do, the Bible says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It said, him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Believe on Him. Trust in Him. Call on Him. Pray. Ask Him. Give me that gift of eternal life. And I promise, I promise, based on the Word of God, that I believe is a perfect copy of the one that's in heaven that has the blood of Christ all over it, that you will be saved and that you will go to heaven. Just believe that Word. So with that, let's pray. Dear Lord, thank You so much for this New Testament and this new covenant that You have brought us into. Uh, we thank You, Lord. And I pray to help us as Christians to uh, enjoy and, uh, and not ever let anybody take the, our joy or our liberty that we have in You. Help us to continue spreading this Word to other people, just letting the whole world know that whosoever will may come. And if there is one that has not come yet, I pray, Lord, that they will today uh, before it's eternally too late. In Your name we pray. Amen.